well, I participate as an independent researcher in the, in the technical committee at NEN. I'm invited actually as, a, as an expert to yeah, join and, and observe and provide feedback. And I think that working from the inside, not just commenting and uh, maybe uh, criticizing from the outside, but actually being there as part of the committee and contributing concrete feedback is way more impactful than, uh, yeah, just, uh, as I said, commenting and, and uh, uh, yeah, being an outsider. BSI presents The Standard Show, the podcast that brings you the stories behind the standards with Matthew Childs and Cindy Paragill. Today's episode is on researchers in standards. Hello and welcome to The Standard Show. My name is Matthew Childs and I am with Cindy Paragill. Hey Cindy, how are you? Trying to go with the flow. Easy does it now. <laughs> exactly, and you? <laughs> Looking to chart unknown waters. Nice. Sail safely, my friend. <laughs> I, I skip. Now, the aim of this podcast is to bring you the stories behind the standards. And in this episode, we are looking at the role that researchers play in relation to standards development. As we have talked about many times before on the podcast, standards are basically everywhere, helping to shape the world around us, making life better for everyone. Yes, and some of those standards are out there doing their thing by modernising established practices, helping out with that constant and evolutionary improvement in the way things are done and made. But at the same time, there are standards at the other end of the scale, working at the leading edge of emerging technologies, techniques and innovations. You know, the game-changing stuff that changes our lives in radical ways. Now, in order to do this, standards gain their authority by being developed through a rigorous consultation process, which um, builds an expert consensus. And this process involves representatives from a wide range of stakeholders, including researchers. Yes, right across the world, researchers make an enormous contribution to the development of standards, particularly in the areas of new technologies and innovations. And the voice you heard at the top of the episode was one of those, Irene Kamara, who carries out research in an important area in the use of new technologies, namely privacy and data protection. Irene is Assistant Professor in Cybersecurity Governance at the Tilburg Institute for Law, Technology and Society in the Netherlands. And in this episode, Irene is joined by Sahanaz Dilmagani, currently an AI and Data Science Specialist for PwC, based in Luxembourg. So last year, Irene and Saharnaz were winners in a couple of different categories of the Standards and Innovation Awards from the European Standards Bodies, SEN and Senelec. The awards acknowledge and celebrate the important contributions of researchers, innovators and entrepreneurs to standardization. And later this year, SEN and Senelec will host the fourth edition of the awards. Yes, I spoke to Irene and Sahanaz about what it meant to them to win one of those awards, the use of their research in the development of standards, and also how important they believe using academic research is in the making of standards more broadly. Yes, indeed. Now, as well as hearing from our award-winning researchers, in this episode, we also have the Standards Desk of News, including details of an EU code of practice for standards researchers and the latest of my favourite standards. 
Yes, for this particular My Favourite standard, we leave Europe and head across the Atlantic to North America, well, Canada to be precise, to meet Tatiana Karolina. Tatiana tells us why Canadian standard CSAN293 fire protection for nuclear power plant is so important to her. Now, a reminder that here on The Standard Show, as well as crisscrossing the globe to meet members of the standards community, we really welcome your feedback. Don't we, Sydney Paracule? We sure do, Matthew Charles. <laughs> Please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts, especially if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Find and follow us on Twitter at Standard Show and on Instagram at The Standard Show. And check out the show notes for all of the ways to get in touch. Do you want to help make people's lives easier, safer, and more enjoyable? If so, why not become a standards maker with BSI and have your say on the development of standards? Standards affect all of us every day, wherever we go, whatever we do. By defining good practice, they help people, organizations, the economy and society to do things better. We welcome applicants from all fields, backgrounds and career stages. Our goal is to have a balance of views around the table. If you want to make a difference and shape the world through standards, start your standards making journey now by visiting bsigroup.com forward slash get involved. Now, in this first of my two conversations with award-winning researchers, I speak to Irene Kamara. A former lawyer, Irene is Assistant Professor in Cybersecurity Governance at the Tilburg Institute for Law, Technology and Society, or TILT, in Rotterdam in the Netherlands. Her academic interest is in the relationship between what she describes as the triangle of policy, law and standards. She's a standards maker in the area of privacy and data protection and has been involved in the development of a number of standards, such as EN 17529 on data protection and privacy by design, and also ISO IEC 27701 on privacy information security management systems. In October last year, she won the Sen & Senlex Standards and Innovation Award in the Individual Researcher category, after being nominated by NEN, the National Standards Body for the Netherlands. I started by asking Irene about what it meant to her to win that award. Well, Matthew, I was actually very honoured to receive this award um, because research in uh, the area of standardization is not really a mainstream field for sure, especially for legal scholars. So sometimes when speaking to um, more traditional scholars in, in law, um, as a, a PhD researcher, I had to explain and justify the importance of my research. So I, words like um, standards and, and innovation are a recognition for researchers that are working in the field of standardization. And what I've noticed in the meantime, since I received the award in, back in October, um, there can also be a motivation for junior researchers to, to start working in this area. So um, as a legal scholar, I find this a very good proof that legal scholarship can be innovative and that can have a, um, a direct impact on society. Um, I also really like that my research now can be communicated to standardization bodies. 
for example, um, the Swedish standardization body invited me for, for a presentation for their celebration of 100 years from their establishment. So I had the opportunity to actually speak to the employees of the Swedish standards uh, organization and explain what I do and why I do it in the field of privacy and standardization. Um, and uh, it also had some more concrete uh, impact for, for my uh, personal development because now I'm also part of the STER uh, working group of Sen and Senelec, uh, NEN, so the Dutch standardization body nominated me to be a member of this uh, working group. And now I can uh, look uh, closer at the interconnection between standards, innovation, and education. So overall, I find this uh, a very rewarding moment for my career, and I think it's going to be um, a motivation to work further in, in standardization research. Now, you mentioned there your, your standardization research, which I want to come back to in a second. But before I ask you that about that, now you are a former lawyer turned academic, so why the switch? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, well, formally, um, I'm still registered as a lawyer, but it's true that I'm not practicing the past years. Um, and I have to say, well, the streets happened quite naturally. So in 2013, I, I decided to come to the Netherlands and follow a master program in law and technology at the Tilburg Law School. And actually, this is the same program that I'm now participating as a teacher, not a student anymore. So that's, that's a fine aspect of it. Um, and when I applied to the master program, the plan was to specialize in law and technology, work on uh, intellectual property, data protection, and this kind of issues, and then return back to practice. Uh, but I had a nice opportunity after completing my master program to do a traineeship at the European Data Protection Supervisor in Brussels. So I went to Brussels, I lived in the, in the Brussels bubble, and it was a very uh, good time to be in Brussels back then because this is when the general data protection regulation was at the peak of the legislative process. So there was a lot of, uh, there were negotiations and a lot of discussion on what this new law is going to be about. Um, then I had uh, the offer to, to do um, legal research at the Free University of Brussels. And this was for a very interesting project. Uh, but what was mostly appealing about this is that I had the opportunity to work with one of the top scholars on privacy and data protection um, worldwide, I would say, uh, that is Professor Paul De Heert. So working next to uh, Paul De Heert really um, was one of the, the moments that I said, well, maybe I should stay in academia. Um, so I worked in a project uh, on uh, working on human rights, uh, doing research on um, on interesting aspects of privacy and data protection, and having these intellectual challenges literally every day, um, and working with colleagues from different academic institutions and data protection authorities um, was uh, uh, the, the the moment that I uh, yeah I said well. I will stay here. So I did my PhD uh, on the role and limitations of technical standards in the protection of personal data. And um, yeah, I haven't regretted that I am now working as a system professor and I, I stayed uh, in academia and I, I don't practice the law anymore. Um, what I find also interesting is that in academia, I have the chance to make an impact uh, early in advance. I can influence uh, what uh, law is going to look like, how it's going to be applied um, with my writings and my presentations. Whereas in legal practice, as a litigation lawyer, you just 
mostly fix problems that are already there. So I really have to say that I enjoy this, this different aspect um, by being in academia. Now, you mentioned you're at the Tilburg Institute for Law there, and you're assistant professor in cybersecurity governance. And you describe your research interest as exploring norm making and enforcement in cyberspace, including technical standardization. So can you talk me through that in maybe in simple terms? Yeah, well, that's a bit of a challenge. <laughs> um, I have um, several lines of research, so this is kind of an umbrella statement of what I do and why. Um, so what I look into um, in, in my research is how technology influences or challenges the law, but also vice versa, what kind of laws we need to regulate the use and effects of technology. So during my research in the area of fundamental rights, I noticed that norms so by norms, I mean rules on how people or companies or governments uh, behave in cyberspace. Um, so those norms are not set only by law. And when I was studying as, uh, in my bachelor studies in, in law school, this is the only input that I had. So, okay, it's the law is there, it's setting the norms, and everyone has to follow. But in, in practice, uh, those norms are created by different sources and standards belong in those norm-making sources. So, for, for example, standards can um, nudge towards certain behaviors. So when a company is following the ISO quality management standard, it might expect from its collabor collaborators in the supply chain to do the same. So while this ISO standard is, is not really mandatory uh, because it's not imposed by law, it does have some effect, uh, some impact in, in changing the behavior of, of people. Um, and in terms of enforcement, in a similar manner, um, I explore yeah, how norms and rules can be enforced in cyberspace, let's say the internet, in the internet. So this is a way, way more complex than in the physical world. So how do you make sure that rights of individuals are respected online? Or how do you conduct cyber investigations to collect evidence when um, information is stored on the cloud? So in data servers that are literally uh, everywhere around the world. And how can law and other instruments like standards help in that respect? So these are different questions that I'm exploring in my research. And in terms of your, your standards journey, then you, you've mentioned standards are an important part of, of, your, of your research. We'd love to know, you know, how and when did it start for you with standards and where are you now? Mm -hmm. um, well, I started um, again in my, during my studies in, in law and technology in Tilburg in 2013. I followed a lecture from Professor uh, Kay Sturman that was later also, also one of my PhD supervisors. And he ex was explaining in uh, simple terms what standards are, how they work, what kind of effects they have. And it was the first time that I had to think of the power and the potential of standards. Until then, I only knew ISO and EN, so the CE marking, and I had not, I didn't have a clear idea of the regulation and, and effects of standards. Uh, later, uh, again, in this uh, master program, I wrote a thesis under the supervision of uh, Professor Eleni Costa, um, also at TILT, at my department. And the topic was about behavioral advertising and online privacy. So one part of the thesis was dedicated to standards and technical specifications, and specifically how standards can help communicate our preferences um, to receive or not uh, personalized ads and have our data collected when we browse the internet. 
so while writing the thesis, I also did a uh, short internship at Sen and Senlec, uh in Brussels. And this is when I really managed to get, um, let's say, an insider's view on how European standardization is organized and works. Um, later on, I did a traineeship at the European Data Protection Supervisor, and I provided input at the um, consultation from the European Commission on a standardization request for privacy standards. And this is um, when I uh, was particularly attracted to the triangle policy, law, and standards. Uh, and later on, during my PhD, I, um, I focused on this uh, particular topic, on data protection and standardization, and I looked at policy and, and uh, legislation. So this is pretty much how I got to, to be interested in, in standardization, what's my journey um, until my PhD. And now, as I said, yeah, I'm working as a system professor. I continue the research in the area. And I'm also part of an editorial board of uh, the Journal of Standardization, which is a newly established journal that is um, hosted by the Technical University of Delft. So I'm trying to um, convince or invite other uh, researchers to, to write in the area and um, yeah, to submit their uh, articles uh, in, in the journal as well. So I'm, I'm trying with any uh, a possible uh, means and channel to to continue the research and um, yeah motivate others to look into standardization as a research field as well. I just wonder generally, you know, how, what you think, um, you know, how important is this sort of independent academic contribution to standards? Yeah, so I think. Um, um, Academics should participate, should be encouraged to participate um, in the development of uh, technical standards, especially in the areas like privacy or um, standards that have to do with technology that can be uh, can have some adverse effects like discrimination or this kind of standards. I think it's very important to have um, academic independent academics that are not there to. Uh, to, to, to promote the, the positions of, of um, a certain part of the industry, uh, but have a more, um, yeah, a different perspective. Um, I think it's very important to have those um, academics uh, on board as well. So earlier on, you um, you talked to me about your, your standards journey uh, and about how it all started for you, but you've, you've obviously, you, you, well, you become a standards maker now as well. So which sort of, what sort of technical committees and, and standards committees are, are you involved with? Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I'm currently part of the NEN uh, Technical Committee on Privacy and Cybersecurity. And this is a mirror committee to the very well-known ISO IEC JTC1 uh, subgroup, um, subcommittee 27, so Information uh, Security, Cybersecurity and Privacy Protection, but also the SENELEC, uh, so the European level, uh, SENELEC JTC13 on cybersecurity and data protection. And I'm following several ongoing projects uh, and I provide uh, comments and feedback through the National Committee in uh, the Netherlands. So in terms of your, your participation then uh, in, the, in the development of the standards, have you got any examples of where you know, you've taken your research and there's been a practical application of that research within the standards development? Yes, absolutely. There are um, certain ongoing projects, but also a recently published project on a, sta- it's a European standard on uh, privacy by design. So the one that responded to the uh, Commission standardization request from 2014. 
And um, yeah, I provided, I really, I studied these standards in my uh, PhD research and I provided uh, concrete uh, feedback on the, yeah, the different dra- drafts that were uh, put forward to the committee. Obviously, I can understand from a, a researcher's perspective, you know, you've talked about that relationship between uh, policy and the law and, and regulation and standards. And that's a very interesting and sort of fertile ground for you as a an independent academic. I just wonder how that sits with you. Uh, you you're researching that area, but then you're also becoming a standards maker, too. Well, uh, I participate as an independent researcher and uh, in the in the technical committee at NEN. And I'm invited actually as a, as an expert to yeah join and, and observe and provide feedback. Um, and I think that working from the inside, not just commenting and uh, maybe uh, criticizing from the outside, but actually being there as part of the committee and contributing concrete um, impact, uh, feedback is way more um, impactful than uh, yeah just uh, as I said commenting and and. Uh, uh, yeah, being an outsider. Yes, because I'm not actually working for um, at the technical committee. I'm not working for NEN. I'm an independent researcher. I, uh, well, at academia in, in the Netherlands, we have the code of integrity uh, that is imposed to every um, individual researcher working at the universities. And this is uh, actually the rules that we have to respect to make sure that uh, our research um, is not uh, subject to any conflict of interest. So I think, um, I, I truly believe that the, the researchers should uh, be actively uh, participating in public consultations uh, with the, that the European Commission is, is publishing for making comments on legislative um, uh, proposals or uh, contributing with research that is contracted from um, national uh, governments, like I'm doing a project now for the National Cybersecurity Agency in the Netherlands. Um, so I, th- I find this as as our contribution to society, because just writing articles that we hope that are going to be read um, at some point in the future and that people are going, to, relevant stakeholders are just going to take um, uh, to take the, our recommendations on board is a more passive approach than actively going out there and communicating your research and making a real uh, impact. From my perspective, I find this a very rewarding um, journey and uh, yeah i would encourage um, researchers to try to be more involved in practice are you a postgraduate studying at a uk university do you have a research idea or project that involves standards in some way well if so bsi student research program can help the way it works is simple We gain valuable information about an area of interest to our standards work, while you can benefit from mentorship to support your project and the chance to gain knowledge and exposure that may increase your future employability. To find out more about the program, including case studies of previously supported projects and how to apply, visit bsigroup.com forward slash education. Now, coming up later, we'll hear my conversation with Sahanaz Dilmagani, the second of our award-winning researchers we are featuring in this episode. But for now, Cindy, shall we have the Standards Desk of News? Yep, let's do it. 
European Code of Practice for Standards Researchers. To identify elements of good practice in standardisation research projects, the European Commission has published a scoping study for supporting the development of a code of practice for researchers. In the study, the Commission argues for close ties between the research community and the technical committees that develop standards to improve researchers' awareness of and know-how about the standardisation process. The ISO Research Grant The 2022 ISO Research Grant is open for applications. This year's theme is International Standards and Climate Action, calling for researchers to investigate how the use of international standards can contribute to the achievement of the climate agenda. If you're a postgraduate student or a postdoctoral researcher, apply at iso.org before 30 June. And finally, have your say on electric vehicle standards. Comments are invited on the world's first draft standard for accessible charging of electric vehicles. PAS 1899 provides requirements to help improve the experience of disabled people using public charge points and increase public engagement in EV charging. Go to standardsdevelopment.bsigroup.com and have your say. Look sharp though, the public consultation closes soon. And that's the Standards Desk of News. My favourite standard. My name is Tatiana Kairulina, and my favourite standard is CSA N293 Fire Protection for Nuclear Power Plants. I am a consulting partner with Outsell, and I look after the standards uh, and technical solutions market of the information uh, data and analytics industry. I research, analyze, and publish insights about the global standards development market. Uh, for example, one of the publications that is of interest to standards developers is our annual report on the global standards uh, publishing market. It comes out in May, and this is where we look at the overall market, we estimate its size, we look at the growth rates, provide a review of, of their um, of growth rates going forward in the future. Uh, we talk about the key players, and we also discuss trends that are driving the market. But before joining Outsell, I was with Canadian Standards Association for almost 12 years. And there I was uh, developing competitive intelligence and market assessments for a variety of departments, uh, supporting them in their work. And when I say variety of departments, I probably work with all of them, uh, starting with standards publishing and then products, sales, marketing, finance, innovation, testing and certification. So my story is going to be unusual for two reasons. Uh, first of all, I'm going to be talking about a Canadian standard, a CSA standard. And the other reason why my story is unusual is that I'm typically on the business side of things. And people like me normally do not get involved in committee work. I, however, got a chance uh, to uh, work with the committee developing the CSA N293 fire protection for nuclear power plants. I worked as a project manager on the 2012 edition of that standard. Um, my assignment was for about two years. And just to explain what a project manager at CSA does, it's a CSA employee who organizes committee meetings, who recruits volunteer experts, uh, also supports the committee chairperson in running the meetings, and um, updates the standard draft with new content as it evolves. 
So that was my chance to see the mechanics, kind of the kitchen of standards development uh, from a front row seat, learn about the process of the of building consensus, um, also get to know the members contributing to the standard, learn about their different roles in the committee, and ultimately understand the unique role that a standards development organization or an SDO, as we call them, um, plays in industry and the society at large. Uh, for example, some of the some of the concepts that all SDOs, all accredited SDOs use a lot um, are we are a member-driven organization or uh, it's a consensus standard. These concepts truly come to life uh, when you get immersed with committee work. Um, for example, SDOs refer to their members being the lifeblood of their organization. And what, what it means in practice is that there are thousands and thousands of volunteers who show up for meetings months after months, sometimes for years and end, uh, sometimes throughout their entire careers. Um, uh, they do their homework, they review drafts, they provide comments, they respond to requests for interpretations, uh, they vote, they're truly committed to publishing their standard and schedule. Um, members take their committee work really seriously. They, they're proud to contribute to a document that will benefit their industry and well, their society, their country. So because of the caliber of people that I got to collaborate with, my experience was extremely rewarding, despite a quite steep learning curve that that assignment also came with. Uh, so it was a fun ride. And in short, I, I feel privileged to have met the members and to have this um, hands-on experience of developing a consensus standard now under my belt. So. This is why I have special affection for CSA N293 Fire Protection for Nuclear Power Plants and uh, nominate this standard to be my favorite. Our thanks to Tatiana for sharing with us her My Favorite Standard. Now, in this second of my conversations with award-winning researchers, I speak to Sahanaz Dilmagani. Last year, she won the Young Researcher category in the Sen and Senlec Standards and Innovation Awards after being nominated by Ilnaz, the National Standards Body for Luxembourg, for the subject of her PhD, which was on developing algorithms for clustering network data, such as in social networks. She tells me about both the challenges and the personal satisfaction of providing a research perspective inside a standards technical committee and seeing the practical application of knowledge used in the development of international standards. Sahanaz is currently a consultant in artificial intelligence and data science, for the professional services firm PwC. I started by asking her to tell me more about this role. I started actually my um, my role in PwC when I was like almost wrapping up my PhD. Um, so um, I'm here actually, I'm, I'm a technology business unit. I'm working with data team and AI um, with um, different uh, people with uh, experts and professionals and so far it really helped me a lot to improve my skills actually and the good thing is that I was I mean I was so surprised that um, I could use my background and my knowledge to support my work because like most of the people say that yeah it's normally you know academy is different than um, working environment like in business so um, you should be really lucky if you can really connect make those connections so I was really working hard to make those connections, you know, to see if I can use my networks, if I can use my contributions. And 
uh, build something on that, which was really uh, for me surprising that most of the projects that I was working were actually um, you know, I could use my knowledge and, um, we had like, we, here we do, uh, consulting basically, um, first of all, but then we do different way, uh, ways of different kind of projects. So, um, we, um, define, I didn't, uh, like we design solutions. We, uh, try to have, we do like trainings, etc. So in, um, I've been in different projects so far. Uh, and then in most of the cases I was able to actually use, um, you know, um, that network approach, for example, in one uh, project and then like uh, standardization and regulations was also very important because we also have a, a global team here who are working on that side. So I was I, I connected to them and it was really good to exchange uh, information. And, and most importantly, since it is, you know, the world is really now going into these um, warnings and alarms that why, what, what we can do with AI and what are the threats, et cetera, or the risks. Um, so it's becoming a bit uh, of hot topic somehow. Uh, it's a topic that most of the business companies are interested in. So that's why we also focus a lot uh, in our routines and our tasks to, to address this kind of challenges by providing trainings, by giving solutions that is actually um, to help to support a good AI rather than the bad AI. Now you've mentioned uh, you mentioned standards there briefly. So we're interested in your in your standards journey. You know how how and when did it start for you and where are you now? Yeah. Yeah. Well um it is started actually to be um, honest it started when I was doing my internship there was an internship uh, during my bachelor so it was like maybe yeah seven eight years ago um i had like i was working um in my own country like in iran i was um just for three four months i assigned to a task uh there was this research center in standardization and they were doing some tasks so i was just as a bachelor student i was just trying to help and there, that was the first actually interaction with the standardization. So of course, um, it was not too technical for me. And um, for me, it was like, okay, standards are just maybe for the pipes. And the, the most related ones were actually related to the communication, you know, the IEEE uh, network uh, standards. That was the most that I knew. Clarifications Corner. The Institute of Electrical and Electronics Engineers, or IEEE, develops standards in the area of telecommunications, information technology, and the power generation of products and services. But then, because my background was IT during the time I did my bachelor, so there was another manager who asked for my help during my internship in some IT standards. So there I got familiar with this um, type of standards that, oh, okay, there's more than what I was thinking. Uh, but during the time, big data was really a buzzy word, and um, it, I think there wasn't even a standardization for that. So after I did my master's and then I got this position, PhD position in Luxembourg, I find that, oh, okay, so there's the, the actually the, the whole PhD program was not only research, but it was like finding also research gaps in standardization, right? So it was kind of uh, focusing on two sides. Um, then here, initially, I started with working group nine, big data. So that was maybe my first um, being, you know, the, the first time being expert in a, a standardization committee. 
working group. So there I was actually mostly interested in, you know, seeing like what's going on, what are the um, challenges, like what these people are talking about, what they really want. Um, so initially it was mostly to observe and also to learn. Um, and then like during the time I participated in uh, working uh, workshops, uh, some um, courses, I took some certificates and then I've become more mature and mature in standardization. So what standards are you currently involved with now? Um, well, right now I'm um, mostly focused on AI and then like in within AI, my, my main interest is on AI conformity assessment, AI trustworthiness, uh, ethics, you know, these kind of challenges, risks and threats about AI and like what are the solutions, what we can propose. So that's why I'm, I'm involved in SC42. Um, well, within SC42, there are different working groups. Um, so I'm in data working group. I'm an expert in data, in, IT trustworthiness, uh, in AI trustworthiness, sorry, and then like um, algorithms and, and the computational uh, computational algorithms, use cases, etc. So there are different working groups. Uh, but my main focus uh, was actually in, from the beginning on AI trustworthiness, where I also um, contributed, you know, I, I use my research, some pieces of my research there um, in the technical roadmap, uh, in the technical reports and the AI roadmap that we wrote. So this is in case of e, um, uh, ESO and um, IEC, actually. And then in um, Sense Analyc, because afterwards they also um, established this um, Sen and Selenic focus group AI, which is now converted to JTC21. It's part of JTC21. Your research then has, has been used in a number of different international standards. Could, could you tell us about those and also, you know, how it was used? You know, how did the committee go about using your research in the development of those standards? Mm-hmm. Well, um, so I was doing also my research on these topics uh, beside, you know, participating in the meetings and, you know, um, reading the um, drafts of the technical reports or the, um, you know, the publications of actually the new items, let's say, new items of um, standardization. So, um, well, um, it was kind of a two-way road. So I was looking into the challenges and then I was doing some research. And then at the same time, uh, we were looking into, um, you know, um, publishing these um, works, the contributions. So it was kind of uh, looking into the gaps and then doing research and doing a study to see if there's something, if there is already uh, some solution for that or if we can do some, if we can develop something or something. So it was kind of, um, this kind of question and, you know, finding the answers. But then at the same time, um, like what I was finding, um, it was a good, they were also a good match and fit for the um, new items that were actually going to, uh, that was proposed in SC42. Another clarifications corner. SC42 is the subcommittee on standards for artificial intelligence which is part of the ISO-IC Joint Technical Committee 1, or JTC1, responsible for all standards in information technology. So uh, within the e-meetings and, you know, when we, when we received the drafts, I was reading it and I, I was looking into the um, places where I could contribute and I could, you know, if I, if I already have some pieces of research, where does it fit? So it was kind of looking into uh, the drafts, uh, trying to provide some feedback if we could. 
and then also to discuss where we can, um, which part or which papers fits the best uh, to complete that draft. And then like we were like having meeting internally with the team and uh, then within the uh, e-meetings that were actually held by um, SC42 committee, we were discussing all these comments. So um, then, yeah, there is this uh, protocol that, okay, everybody discuss it. If there is, uh, if they accept it, they will keep it. Otherwise they'll edit it. So I was using my, my part of my parts of my research, uh, wherever it fits in the um, roadmaps, AI roadmap that we wrote with Sensenlink and also um, the technical report of um, AI trustworthiness, AI trustworthy for um, SC42. But there, uh, there was also, there's been also other contribution in different committees and different um, reports as well. So, for example, in SC42, in AI trustworthiness um, technical report, um, there was also a part of my research where we discuss about the mitigation strategies, especially, for example, when it comes to different threats and risks in bias, uh, like bias is one example, robustness of AI. So these were actually um, parts of the um, technical report that I could collaborate and sorry, I could contribute. In. Notice that okay, there's a, there's a discussion that I should okay maybe raise a hand or mention or you know um, continue I mean, to participate in discussion. So I was actually uh, participating. Other than that, it's mostly like um, you know you have the draft, so you read it and then you see if you can contribute on that or not. Uh, but we were mostly, you know, doing all these things internally with uh, Ilnas. So at Ilnas, the Luxembourgish standard body, we were having these meetings. We were sitting together, looking into the uh, draft, and then see how um, and uh, you know uh, how and what we can contribute. And then afterwards, the draft was somehow edited, and then it was sent by uh, by the um, representative of the um, actually of the team um, to to the ISO um, committee, and then there they will just you know going you know the roundtable and then like looking into the comments that were sent. How did that feel? Well, you've worked on on the research for for four years for your PhD and your sort of your research background generally, you know, for, and your interest in this field as, as an undergraduate. I just wonder how that felt when there was a sort of a practical and concrete application of the research you'd done. Yeah. Um, so um, yeah, initially when I was like as a bachelor student, I didn't really feel it. Like that was just a yeah short period of time. But now, as a PhD, as a person who um you know did most of his life, most of her life, she was I was like doing research and you know reading papers. Um, honestly, so. Actually, in the beginning, it was like a little bit of um, lots of misunderstandings and confusion because um, you have a different way of thinking, you know, way of looking and, you know, um, even like defining and writing. And then like people from business, they had like their own concerns and they were looking into, um, I mean, we were talking about same thing, but um, maybe with different languages. <laughs> and I think like um, this is actually why also standardization standards are really important because there we can come to a common language and then we can, you know, share more than just, you know, separating those communities and saying that, okay, you are a researcher, you should do research. 
and you are a business person, so you can participate. So, you know, having this mixture of different stakeholders, different languages, it's actually really important. And I should say, yeah, it was really challenging for me in the beginning because I was thinking, no, this is not the right way. It should This is more important than that. But then you see, oh, okay, he's also right. I mean, you know, if you look into the real life and like the business concerns, that's that's more important than what I was, for example, assuming that's more so let's be something really, you know, personal satisfaction where you've done this research over four years. It Obviously, you could produce papers, academic papers and, and research. You know, your PhD sits on the shelf somewhere in your in your bedroom or at home. <laughs> but actually, you're, you're taking elements of it and you're yes. influencing this international standard. That must be really rewarding. Indeed. Actually, um, yeah, with all the challenges, like the first year, I would say it wasn't really like I didn't have the same feeling that I have now, but because it was like most of the challenge, like a lot of challenges, like how should I fit that? How should I connect that to this? My research was pretty much, um, you know, um, not mature enough. So I should have, because like in order to have a PhD, you should have your research contributions and your, uh, you know, papers as well. So it's a little bit of, um, it's a bit of, you know, big challenge to connect all these things and to, to, um, to be present in all these, you know, um, rooms, let's say. Um, so yeah, actually, um, initially I didn't really understand that, um, it can, it can be so strong. So now, um, actually like after I, I, you know, wrapped up my PhD and, and especially in the position that I am right now, I see that, um, well, it was really, really helpful because it wasn't like, as you said, something that I put it in the shelf because uh, I met people, I, I talked with people, I, you know, um, there was this kind of um, somehow interdisciplinary and also, you know, um, networking that you've created and also uh, different um, discussions that you've participated. So I think it um, not only gave me that, yeah, the typical PhD <laughs> degree to put it on the wall, but also, you know, all those skills uh, that I learned uh, during this way uh, by participating in standardization uh, to look into, um, you know, the challenges and, you know, real life um, applications and how should I, now there is a need, there is a deadline to, for example, for this new item in standardization, how should, how can I put, uh, you know, prepare that piece of research that I have and fit it into this document that can, you know, that other can use it. So in a different format, in a standardization format, and it's not really just a research paper that researcher reads. Um, that was, yeah, that was actually one of the skills that really helped me a lot to grow in different, you know, um, to, to grow different skills, not just looking into the research. Yes, indeed. So I think like um, there, there are lots of gaps and especially like if I talk about like AI and data analytics part. So um, I think there is a lot of uh, gaps and there are lots of needs. Uh, if you are a researcher, you are dealing with standardization, I would say. Um, it's a it's a good opportunity to um, I mean it's a challenge itself but it's also interesting and then you le- you will learn a lot if you can use your re- research in standardization and there is now um, there are lots of needs uh, this standardization in case of in in AI it's pretty it's still not mature enough we need a lot of standardization we need to um, we need to use a lot of research references so I think it's a good opportunity. Um, for for young researchers if they are interested in the topic. So they can really work on it. And um, yeah, it might be challenging in the beginning, but then you'll learn and then you will really enjoy it because then you also get different feedbacks from different perspectives, different people um, in the different companies and sectors. 
Now, you won the Young Researcher category in the SEN Senlex Standards Innovation Awards in 2021. So I've got to ask you, how did it feel to win? Well, quite actually, like winning is always interesting, right? <laughs> so I'm very exciting and uh, like it was really nice. Um, so I think it really uh, came in a good time because I was like finishing my PhD and, you know, it's kind of give me this feeling that, okay, so I was in the right direction. So I was um, all the efforts and all the um, time and, you know, all those um, the failures and, you know, okay, you can do it. You should continue all those um, kind of, you know, um, the efforts that you've put. Uh, it actually came to um, a good conclusion. So I really... I was really happy about it. And at the end, um, actually, it turned out to be a good thing because I met a lot of people in uh, they invited us to a meeting in, in Italy. And then um, um, we, we met lots of people. So that was really nice to see how actually these uh, organizations are going. And it was really interesting for me to, to be there and to meet uh, a lot of people. Uh, which are actually behind the scene of standardization, maybe. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it turned out to be a good thing, and I really am so happy about it. Our thanks to Irene Kamara and Sahanaz Dilmagani for speaking to us for this episode and for sharing their thoughts and experiences on the role of research in standardization. Our thanks also to Tatiana Karolina for sharing with us her My Favourite Standard. And, of course, our thanks to you, for listening. Finally, a reminder that if you want to find out more about accessing BSI support for postgraduate research, then head on over to bsigroup.com forward slash education. You have been listening to an episode of The Standard Show with Matthew Childs and Cindy Paragill. Subscribe to us now wherever you get your podcasts. just heard a stripped media production.